somebody somebody said to me, and I've heard this repeated several times, the United States is the graveyard of British startups, right? And 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 it took me some some time to understand why why that was said. And, and and I think after about a decade or so, I, I think I, I, I realized why. And, and, and it's that there are some companies that go too quickly and some companies that don't go quickly enough. Today, I'm talking to Dan Glazer, the founding partner of the London office of Wilson Sonisi. And we're having a chat to him to discover how he's building an augmented Silicon Valley here in London. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, powered by the Harvey Nash Group, where we talk to leaders from across the industry and bring you some tech news. Joining me today, Akish, how are you? Hello, I am very well, very well, thank you. I'm back, I'm back. Did you enjoy Magic Monday? Magic Monday? What, what's Magic What's Magic Monday? What's Magic Monday? Yeah, the Olympics yesterday, oh, three right. gold medals. Right, okay, yeah. What was it called last time? Super Sunday? Super Saturday? Super Saturday. Super, Super Saturday, Saturday was, Super Saturday, was four, yeah. four goals, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, that, was, yeah. that was immense. But Magic now, Monday. Adam, Adam Peaty, um, mm-hmm. as close to a sure thing in sport as he's going to get. That guy, right? We'll come on to Tom Daly in a second because that deserves special mention because Tom Daly's a bit of a hero. Yep. But... Adam Peaty, mm-hmm. first British swimmer to defend his uh, Olympic title. Um, get this right. He has the 17 fastest times in history in his event. 17? He has the top 17 times in history. Uh, he's a, the guy's just a machine. He just breaks his own record for fun. Yeah. He's like, he's so much further ahead than anybody else. So it's, it's, like, it's, like a, it's like back in the day, Usain Bolt, right? Everyone was just fighting for second and third place. So it was like, well, there's no point. Yeah. He'll just, he's obviously going to win and we'll just have a little battle for second and third. Absolutely. I mean, when Michael Phelps calls yeah. you a monster and says he wouldn't want to get in the pool with you, you kind of go, fair enough. He, and he looks double scary with a shaved head as well, hasn't he? Oh, he does, doesn't he? Double <laughs> scary. I mean, you don't see it when they've got the uh, swimming. on. Yeah, yeah. And then he take, whips it off at the end. I was like, oh, fuck. Well, you, you, you look a bit intimidating, you do. <laughs> Mate, I, I love how, I mean, I shouldn't say un-British because maybe we need more of this, but there was an article with him before the games and he's like, I feel like a god. Oh, like yeah. when he's in the swimming pool, he's like, yeah. It's like, if you're going to be like that good, that's probably the mentality you've got to have. Yeah. But he's, a, he's an amazing, like he's amazingly young, articulate young man, just got, uh, just had his first child, um, um, and um, his child's um, mixed race, and so he's become a really kind of big advocate and, and speaker for um, Black Lives Matters and yeah. and kind of understanding of, of a better understanding of how ethnic minorities are, are kind of treated, etc. Um, and given that he's a kind of a white sporting superstar, I think that's a really powerful ally and really good. So that's positive. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of speaking of which, uh, Tom Daly. Um, yeah. Absolutely incredible, really. What, 13 years, four Olympic Games, and he's finally got his gold medal. And also, how the hell does he still look like he's 16 as well? Like he's, he's, I think he's about 27, 28 He's 27. Years. He's two yeah, years he's younger than me, right? And I look old enough to be his granddad, I reckon. Right? <laughs> I literally, I was, I was watching it yesterday. And I was like, how does he still look like that young whippersnapper that came? Do you remember like his first Olympics? Yeah, yeah, and everyone's yeah, yeah. like, yeah, this guy, like this kid, like he's gonna absolutely it's Beijing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He still looks the blimmin' same. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Um 
But yeah, what a time to get it right. And he's done so much. I guess he's just done so much for sport in the UK in general. Um, yeah, um, and also for, for for the LGBT community 100%. as well, being o- openly queer and 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 owning it and being like, no, you like we always say, isn't it a shame that there aren't out footballers? Mm-hmm. So to get someone who is who is doing something like Frank, I wouldn't want to jump off a 10 meter diving board. Like the idea of kind of like an openly gay man also being openly like uber competitive, yeah. successful sporting, quashing all of those ridiculous stereotypes. Yeah. Um, looking like he's 16 and being absolutely built. And it's like fair play Tom Daly. That, that is a good role model for this country. hundred percent. And, he, and he, do you know what? I was speaking to, um, I was speaking to someone about it yesterday. I was like, he's never, he's never really been in any, Controversy. He's never really brought like a bad light to himself, and no, the the only tiny bit of controversy was was when he said he was misquoted. There was an article that was like, "I am not gay," and he Mm. immediately came out and said, "I've been misquoted," and actually, I am. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and to be honest, I think I think he's 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 done a lot for 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 the sport in general. I mean, I'd I'd like Mm. to say I don't really know much about diving. I'll be honest, but. I think other than it looks scary yeah um and also you have to be very well built to do that and now men their size can go in without any splash is ridiculous um but anyway <laughs> like honestly i'm like how, how, how do you look like that how do you have you know shoulders that big delts all that sort of stuff and you hardly make a splash when you go in ridiculous um but <laughs> also i think i think the way he's just like conducted himself over the years and um yeah i think you're top top lad top top lad um and and well done to him after all those Olympics to finally get a gold medal. Gentlemen. Yeah, he's very, very hero. Good. Talking of Brits going overseas and doing well, our podcast today is all about Brits going to America and doing well. So we're going to hand over to Dan, uh, the founding partner of the London office of uh, uh, Wilson Son Easy, and then we'll come back with some commentary afterwards. Today, I'm lucky to be joined by Daniel Glazer. Daniel, thanks for taking the time to speak to me. Thank you. Great to be here. So Daniel, you're the founding partner of Wilson Sonsini. Uh, the London office was opened in 2018. Um, do you want to tell us very quickly why uh, you've come to London and what Wilson Sonsini is doing in the UK? Sure, sure thing. So for, for, first off, just to, 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 to make sure that I don't uh, end up the, the, the target of a few barbs from our headquarters in Silicon Valley, I'm not the founding partner of the whole firm. Uh, that, that would be Mr. Sonsini, Larry. Uh, who, who did that back in 1961? But I am the founding partner of the London office, um, and uh, and sort of the way that we we sort of got here is um, back about a decade ago, after um, you know uh, Prime Minister Cameron uh, made the uh, Tech City speech, right in the uh, in sort of right right near Old Street Roundabout, Silicon Roundabout, mm-hmm. in November 2010, indicating that the the future of the UK economy would would be digital, starting from East London and scaling throughout the the country. Um, a few months after that, I, I took a meeting with the British consulate uh, in, in New York, which is where I was based at, at the time. They were telling me all about the, the, the Tech City initiative. And, and as they mentioned to me, you know, historically, uh, they had typically seen American tech companies uh, go to the UK. But now with, with this new focus on the digital economy in the UK, they expected to see a generation of UK tech companies uh, look to the US, right, to launch uh, scale, raise venture capital, and eventually exit through uh, M&A or, or U- U.S. IPO. And as they said, you know, how how can we help them? Um, and Dan, if you could do it on the ground in in London, that would be brilliant. 
Um, so challenge accepted, as, as they say, uh, and and sort of you know went back and forth between uh, you know New York and London uh, for, for for several years um, to sort of build up the business case for you know what would it look like if if we sort of created augmented reality Silicon Valley, right? So putting uh, you know myself and a and, and a team of sort of Silicon Valley and New York expats on the ground in London to help UK and other European tech companies through that US life cycle, right? Everything from setting up a sub subsidiary uh, to hire your first employees in the US all the way up to listing uh, you know, on, the, on the NASDAQ or the New York, New York Stock Exchange. Um, so we, we formally opened uh, on, on Old Street um, in uh, the summer of 2018. And, uh, and we, we, we've scaled from, from there. We have uh, uh, probably by the end of the summer, I think we're gonna have about, we're gonna be up to about 18 uh, attorneys here in, in, in London, you know, with a focus on providing that U.S. support and connectivity. Um, and we work with about 800 or so um, U.K. and European uh, startups, scale-ups and investors in, in the tech space. So it is about helping British firms thrive and scale in the U.S. rather than, say, Depop being bought by Etsy, um, as, as recently happened, and kind of a, 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 an American firm hoovering up British talent. See, we don't, we don't think of it as, as, as hoovering up uh, <laughs> British talent. And certainly the, the investors don't view it as, as, as hoovering up, right? I mean, ultimately, right, there, there are three outcomes for any venture-backed business, right? It, it, I, I think of it as the, the, the three true outcomes, right? Bankruptcy, M&A, or IPO, right? And, and, and the question is, is that, you know, well, first of all, you hope it's one of those latter two, right? You're hoping to avoid the bankruptcy scenario. But if it's an M&A or, or IPO, the question is, you know, well, what's, what's the outcome for the VC investors? What's the outcome for management? What's the outcome for the employees who hopefully have been incentivized through, you know, equ equity schemes? Um, you know, these... Venture-backed businesses being built are not, generally speaking, 30-year family businesses that you're looking to build, right? I mean, you know, this isn't, for example, you know, Cadbury being bought by Kraft, you know, back 12, 13 years or so ago that, you know, the, the great company that had built, been built in Bourneville in the 1800s, um, you know, the goal ultimately for most of the, these companies is to sell or to list, Right. So I wouldn't necessarily look at it as as, as hoovering up talent, so, so, so to speak. Mm. I would look at it as what what are the optimal exits for these companies that are being built specifically to a, a, a eventually reach you know, a successful sale or, or a successful IPO. But to answer the original question, you know, that is absolutely part and parcel of why we are here. Um, you know, the the usually we, we start working with companies when they come to us with one of two 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 questions. Um, I'm launching in the U.S. What do I do next? Or I'm looking to raise money from U.K. investors, European investors, U.S. investors in order to scale in the U.S. Right. You know, and then we 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 work with them from from there. I mean, no, no matter how big that they get, like, for, for example, our, you know, Classic story as a firm is is that we 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 incorporated Google as a company um, in 1998. Um, we worked with them on their IPO in 2004, and and we still work with them today, right? I mean, in in that context, there is no sort of sweet spot, 
right? I mean, yeah. it, it's it's a true life cycle approach, which, in fairness, in the U.S. is 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 very common. That is sort of the the foundational approach of how advisors, broadly speaking, work with companies in, in the states. Is it's almost the the venture capital model of professional services, right? You're investing time rather than money the way a VC does, but you're investing time in early stage companies and scaling with them because you're incentivized then to scale with them, right? Until they get much, much bigger. And then like a VC at exit, everybody wins. It's a partnership model that helps American companies move very quickly. So I suppose, look, I I, I asked that question with a, with a, with a, a degree of being a kind of devil's advocate there but there was i remember an article at the time in the guardian that, that the headline was losing depop to us ownership makes the british tech sector look second hand mm. and that was the kind of the the flavor of the article but at the same time i know that you very much see this as a kind of a hotbed of innovation progressive technology um and and, and i think if you if you look at the way that people have seen certainly the fintech market emerge over the last 10 years it has been this vibrant uh, scene where there's there's a, there's a lot of strength in in almost the proximity of the british market of everything being very geographically together in one place and and you know if you think about life sciences as well having oxford and cambridge and london all so mm-hmm. close together and everything that that brings what what do you think gives london or let's let's expand it to what do you think gives uh, the UK, that slight edge in that early stage that that can help those companies be competitive in the US market? And what is it then that, that, that they get into their DNA at that early stage that can help them thrive? Yeah, I will, I will pass along a comment that an American VC once said to me. He said, he said, you know, what I'm really looking for coming out of the UK is I'm looking for companies that have British discipline and American aspiration. Right. Right. So what we find is that companies coming out of the UK tend to be, you know, disciplined. I mean, they're, they're, they're you know, very capital efficient on average, right? They've got fantastic technology because, you know, they're te- technology that, that, that's often born out of some of the, the, the top universities in the world. Um, they've got, an, you know, a very tight knit ecosystem, which is sort of just the right size where, you know, you can you, you get the, the sort of efficiencies and the synergies of, of people being able to, you know, sort of see, see each other and, and know each other and then during the before times meet each other, um, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so, you know, and, and then on top of that, you've got these fantastic and I and maybe not everyone feels the same way, but I, I'll go out on a limb here and say these fan, fantastic government programs like SEAS and EIS um, and uh, you know R and D tax credits and, and EMI for employee options, right? Which, which really create some fantastic in- incentives to build and invest in technology businesses, right? So you've you, you, you've got the the these companies that are you know in a, a tight knit environment with great great tech, they can get funded, and then then the, the question is, you know, if you have got a technology offering that can succeed in the United States, how do you do that, right? How do, how, how do you do that if you don't have experience building a business in the US? How do you, how do, you do that if you look across the Atlantic and, and you see a, some lesser competitor who somehow raised 10 times the amount of money that you have from Silicon Valley, right? How do you, how do, you do that? Should you do that? You know, I often, say, I, I often say, and this is absolutely true, I mean, we, 
we typically talk probably about 30% of all companies that we speak with about U.S. expansion out of going to the United States. Right? Um, and and, and that, that goes to something that, that was once, uh, once said to me at the very beginning when, when, I, when I first started working with, with British startups. Somebody, somebody said to me, and I've heard this repeated several times, the United States is the graveyard of British startups. Right? And, and, and it took me some, some time to understand why, why that was said. And, and, and I think after about a decade or so, I, I think I, I, I realized why. And, and, and it's that there are some companies that go too quickly and some companies that don't go quickly enough. And here's what I mean by that, is that there are some companies that say, we, that come out of the UK and say, we are a tech company. The US, and, and therefore we need to go to the United States. Because the U.S. is where all the money is. The, as they say, the streets are paved with VC gold. All we have to do is rock up. And you know, if people like us here in the U.K., they will love us in America. Because they will apparently throw money at anything and buy anything as long as it's, it's something tech-related. Right? And many companies go to the U.S. And, and plant the flag and throw, splash the cash, as they say, start to build the business and find that it's actually not nearly as easy as they thought. Right? that it's actually super competitive and you're going to be much better off if you expand to the US because you're being pulled there by customer traction and user growth as opposed to simply saying we're going to go to the US because we're a tech company therefore we need to go to the US right in other words don't assume that just because it works in the UK it works in the US so that's sort of the ones that go too quickly but then there's the ones that don't go quickly enough and that one took a little while for for us to uh, to to really sort of identify and, and what, what, what we found is that the comp- there are companies that do go at the right time and they get a foothold in the States. But as they start to get more and more su- success, they don't put anyone senior on the ground in the U.S. And they try to run the U.S. business through a, a U.K. lens. Right. And what we found is that if you are trying to compete with American competitors in America to become a market winner, you cannot play in a way match by leaving all your best players back at home, right? Is, is, is that eventually, if you believe that the, as, a, as a company, that the US is the market that you have to win, that you know, becoming the market winner in the US means ultimately the success or failure of the business, you have got to put somebody with CEO-like authority on the ground in the States, um, or, or else, you know, you are trying to compete in the most competitive market without your best players. So well, one thing I'd, I'd ask then, um, and maybe this is two questions rolled into one, it might be a bit ham-fisted, but British companies going to the US over the years, some have tried, as you're alluding to there, and, and, and relatively few have failed. Another, another accusation that I've seen leveled at the UK is, why have we not produced an Uber? Why have we not produced an Airbnb? Why have those companies come out of the US, but they haven't come out of, say, London? Are the two linked? You know, what, what, can, what can British companies learn from the States to create those kind of businesses at that kind of scale? So first of all, what does that mean? When you say they haven't created an Uber, they haven't created an Airbnb, what is that exactly? What is that that should have been created? I, I often hear people say that, you know, the, the British, the, 
that London doesn't have a marquee huge tech company that's kind of one of those one of those names that becomes synonymous. You know, people talk about an Uber instead of getting a taxi mm-hmm. these days. You know, it, it's it's almost that cultural shift in people's way of thinking. We've yeah. had some fantastic t- tech companies. If I think about fintech, you know, the offerings that we've got and the likes of uh, Monzo and so on. But then they're, they're not they're not going to replace people's lexicon uh, right. just in in society as a whole. Okay, so in other words, specifically a massive B two C, right? B B two C tech company. Mm. Right. Okay. So how many consumers are there in the United Kingdom? 65 million. I was, I was going to guess about 60. I should have been quicker, but okay, right. right. I, I just took my life in the UK test uh, for my, uh, for, for immigration purposes. So, uh, <laughs> um, uh, shout out to the UK government. I studied. Um, <laughs> so, you know, how many consumers are there in America? 325 million. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, really How many are there in China? A billion. Why would you build a massive Airbnb Uber style B2C business in a in in a in, I mean that would reach literally that those heights? Why would you build that in a consumer market of 65 million consumers? Which is not to say that you're not going to have massively successful B2C businesses. Deliveroo, massively su- successful, right? There are, are plenty of companies here that, that can build, you know, really, really big markets. But if you're going for the, the really, really massive one, like why, why would you necessarily build that here? Right? So I think the interesting, sorry but, to jump in, but I think the interesting question then is, do people focus on the wrong thing? Is that kind of yeah. a competitive, you know, you're trying to kind of compare two things that you can't compare and actually people right. should focus on what this country does well. I There is way too much ne- negativity around the, the, the positive aspects of the UK tech ecosystem. For example, Amer- rather than celebrate a company like Depop that was able to scale as fast as it did with a successful exit, which is what the company is shooting for and what its investors are shooting for, right? A successful massive exit then what? There was a headline that, that said that they were hoovered up by the Americans stealing all the talent. I'm, oh, the, the, which, head, the headline was that it made the British the British tech sector look secondhand, which makes no no sense to me, right? In America, when you when when you see those those, those types of exits, everybody celebrates it, right? Be, because it's understood that that was one of the main goals all along. This reminds me of of when we saw some of the big fundraisings from from some of the big fin, fintechs. And the headlines in the mainstream press in the UK were asking who would be insane enough to put money in these loss-making businesses, right? Well, you know, the whole model of building successful American venture-backed businesses, look at Amazon, right, as as, as the model is, yeah, they are loss-making in the short and near term, and then they pivot to profitability at scale. You, You want to talk about how you create a massive multi-billion dollar global tech company. Don't be writing nasty articles about them when they're in halfway through losing money in order to scale to become that massive global technology company, right? Mm-hmm. If, if, if you've got, if you've got the, the, the media browbeating them that they should be focusing at, on the short term making a profit, then you're never going to have an Airbnb or Uber because they have to lose money to scale like that in the first place. So look, I know that we've got only a few minutes left. So so let's 
come back to uh, to a point, I suppose, for your your message to UK startups, to those founders out there. You know, you, you were talking about if you want to be big in in America, at some point you've got to put someone with the clout of the CEO on the ground. What, what else do you think? Are, are there any other things that you think that they really need to do if they're going to have a successful American adventure? Well, it, it's it's to understand how the U.S. fits in 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 the broader context of the business. Right? It does not make sense for every, every company that gets traction in the U.S. to throw all of its resources at at the states, right? I mean, the way the the, the question that we get time and again uh, is: Does the founder, does the CEO need to move to the U.S.? And and we we always tell them that that, that it, it ends up being often a bit of a moving target, and the answer may be different at different stages of of of, of the business. That you know, early on, if the company is let, let's say let's say it's Series A has ten percent of its revenue coming out of the U.S. and most of the growth is coming out of the the UK or Europe. No, I don't necessarily think you, you know you should be moving all your best players over over to the states. You probably want to build a foothold. But if you know two rounds later at Series C, if it turns out that you know the U.S. is scaling massively and now is seventy percent of of your revenue, you know, and and there's a clear path to potentially a U.S. IPO. Then, then, yeah, you know, it may make sense to, to, to put the CEO on, on the ground in the U.S. On the other hand, you know, if if the growth kind of flatlines, then look, look at think about the U.S. as one market out of many, right? Um, and 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 don't necessarily get too distracted by the bright shiny ball if there's you know bigger upside for your specific company in other markets. Look, I think it's been fascinating to talk to you. Um, uh, it's 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 a it's a different perspective perhaps to some that we we've sometimes on this podcast and i think it's uh it's it's good to get that out there as well so thank you for your time and uh, i know you're heading back to the us in a couple of weeks time so i hope that you have a a safe trip and a nice time back at home thank you Dave. really appreciate it right i think i think one of the quotes that stood out to us both was british discipline with american aspiration mm do you know what that reminded me of, right? Completely off business. That reminded me of the Brits' discipline to queue, right? <laughs> you, you, right? And then, and then the American ambition of like, you know, when you walk into like a store in the States, just the, the drive and, and the charisma and like of, of just normal people. Like I remember... Do you remember American Eagle back in the day? Like, do you remember that as a brand? I remember I was in America. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. So it, it was like it was like the, oh, I don't know, cheaper version or, or, or variants to like Abercrombie and Fitch back in the day. But I remember I walked into like an American Eagle store and these guys were adamant to like send me away with not just like one T-shirt, like five. End up coming away with like six T-shirts in four boxes, jeans, the lot, right? And they probably made you feel like Tom Daly in them. Yeah, like literally, I swear, right? I, I mean, I, those jeans were, were shite, right? I, they were so tight. <laughs> right? And all I remember is the guy going, oh my God, man. I mean, yo, dude, you are rocking them. You are rocking them. And I was just like, mate, this guy, I was like, this guy's like my hype man, you know? I was just like, but, but the ambition that they have to basically do an incredible job and go above and beyond is something I think us Brits sometimes are a bit more pessimistic, I think, and, you know, a bit mellow. Um, but we do I think pessimistic. Bit- I think pessimistic is, is right. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, Dan, Dan got really animated when, you know, kind of saying 
Talk, talking about those articles saying who would be insane enough to invest in a loss-making business. And, you know, he's saying, look at Amazon. You know, you've got, oh. to, you've got to back them. Why would you write them off when they're halfway through losing money? Eventually, they will pivot uh, to profitability at scale. And you could tell he was really frustrated with that, with that attitude. Mm. Yeah, I know. And, and I think, yeah, again, I think it's just his, maybe it's his mental state or maybe his, like, you know, kind of... Um, ambition innate american positivity yeah 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 exactly just to say do you know what we why not we'll 100 we'll, we'll dive in head first and see what happens tom daly reference but yeah <laughs> no splash no, no splash no uh born out of the top universities that was what he he had to say about british discipline and i think that's a really important message because you know we often i think we often worry about how higher education will be funded in this country and so on. But it is it is one of those things that, especially post-Brexit and whatever else, you have to invest in education. If we're going to have a really forward-thinking, um, world-beating tech sector, it's got to be that our universities and education system attracts the best people and also nurtures them. And I think that that link between the fact that that British discipline is born out of some of the best universities in the world was was a point that was touched on lightly, but is a really important one. Mm. And it's all, it all goes down to, I guess, elements of the history, the prestige, the the, the kind of, I, I guess, the level that's come out of all these universities as well. So, I mean, offline we were talking about medicine and that sort of thing. And even, you know, the, the kind of research and, and the way the British universities or the, or the higher education piece is set up for the world. I mean... You know, in more recent times, the AstraZeneca vaccine, right, created out of kind of university. Oxford. Yeah, exactly. So things like that, they are paving the way, um, you know, for, for these groundbreaking, I guess, products or groundbreaking kind of, um, you know, things that the, the industry will, will always mm. use. And it becomes a statement and obviously then relates back to the, the great British way of doing things, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, some wonderful advice in there, obviously, as well for some startup founders in the UK. You know, the too fast, too slow um, piece. You should be pulled there by customer demand and growth rather than going thinking that streets are paper for VC gold because of how competitive it is. He also talks about the fact that um, those uh, organizations that, you know, you can't win an away match by leaving your best players at home. You've got to get um, senior people on the ground. You can't view the company through a British lens. I, th I thought there, there was some really interesting points there because... You know, it's it's those kind of insights that that are going to make the difference if you are a founder and you're looking at the American market. And you know, as he points out, 325 million consumers—it's a market you want to be in. Mm, no, exactly. And and I think what what I think the underlining message that I think he's probably trying to give is maybe just saying, look, be braver, be a bit bolder, don't be afraid to take chances, and it will and can pay off. And when it does pay off, you're seen as the you know, either the best gambler in the room or the or the brightest in the room, right? But either way, mm. you're going to celebrate with a lot of revenue and profits and success. So why not? Well, look, Dan, thank you for being our guest. Um, brilliant to have you on the show. We're going to take a quick advert break. When we come back, we're going to be thinking about keeping our homes safe now that some of us might be going away. A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. 
Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They've started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. Okay, you got any holidays planned? No. No, mate, not yet. This article is going to be really relevant then. <laughs> <laughs> no holidays planned, mate. Oh, no no staycation? Um, th- oh, well, yeah. I've, I've got one at the end of September, actually, to commemorate. Commemorate? Celebrate my 30th birthday. So, uh, oh, commemorate. Let's go with that. Commemorate. Uh, well, also, people are going to be leaving their homes to go to the office mm. more regularly. So look, with uh, the prospect of trips out on holidays finally on the cards, over the next few weeks, many of us will be leaving our houses unattended for the first time in months. So it's time to think about making your home a little bit more safe. Um, there was a survey of former uh, burglars who said that they would be put off targeting a smart, connected home. So this article basically is talking all about things like, as you can imagine, video doorbells, smart cameras, smart alarms, smart lights. Um, and I just wondered, you know, have you have you got I've any got, of these I've things? I've got a video doorbell. I, I actually do have a video doorbell. I've got the ring doorbell. No lie. Does it? Does it? <laughs> is it one of these ones that activates when people walk past? Uh, yeah, but you can like switch that off because it gets a little bit annoying. Because where where I live in. In London, southeast London, it's Landon. Landon, it's uh, it's a bit of a pedestrian road in the sense that there's there's like a nursery at the the end of my road, and there's like a little church, there's a bus stop not too far away around the corner. So there's always activity on the footpath outside. So when I first got it, my phone kept on pinging like there's someone at your door, there's someone at your door. And I was like, what what are you on about? There's not. So now up until like you come within, I think like a, a, a meter or a meter and a half radius, then it ping, picks it up. Um, but it's recording all day. Um, backs like, up in the cloud, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, backs up in the cloud. And I'll tell you also, this is weird, right? Because this is not planned at all. Um, they're further up down the road um there was someone's range rover that actually got nicked um mm. i live in quite a nice area so obviously people have range rovers but um you live you didn't you tell us you lived in south london southeast london Dulwich. southeast london it's quite a nice area oh, Dulwich, right, okay yeah, fair enough Dulwich yeah. village yeah, yeah exactly. all right go on yeah. go on, go on. And, anyway so his uh, range rover got nicked and um the police were obviously coming down you know knocking doors that sort of thing um and they were like oh you know can we have a look at your footage and stuff um realize you've got this was it on and that sort of thing so yeah i was like yeah cool and then kind of gave them times i mean they couldn't really see anything they just saw the car drive by but i mean yeah for things like that is good um and the other thing like now dave if me and you were sat here recording this podcast where i'm in a room right at the top of my house i could put you on pause and uh, i could just tell the guy to leave my amazon behind the bins and i'll go down and pick it up yeah, very handy very handy go. i mean on your on your point about the range rover i mean um let's face it it was the way that wayne cousins um was caught in the horrific murder of of um sarah everard i think i yeah. think it was picked up on someone's i think it might have been a ring i'm not sure whether it was ring or i think or, it was actually yeah i think it yeah. actually was yeah um so it, it's decent it's decent and also i think it's because it's always on in the background and it's all stored to the cloud. It's never a point where it runs out of battery, that sort of thing. I mean, sometimes yeah. it does and you just kind of bring it in and charge it up very quickly and 
plug it in and yeah it's it's, it's very very good um i recommend it yeah so it talks here about the fact that there there are smart lights as well um that can come on uh, randomly at random times within a set 60 minute period each day so you're away on holiday your lights can come on and off you know at various times and make it look a bit more like there's there's someone at home it's kind of like ultimate home alone tech mm. uh, without macaulay culkin having to kind of like set, set up, up the christmas lights <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly um but i thought i just thought you know it's interesting uh thought we'd ask the audience see if we get anybody listening still at this point of the podcast and say if you've got some smart tech what would you recommend what works for keeping your house safe uh yeah we should actually we should and, and also they should have something where you can um you, you can also be able to just switch it on have a look at any time and may, maybe like i don't know a custard bucket or something that drops if someone tries to get into your house. <laughs> it is home alone that is home alone it's, except they're a bit more brutal than custard buckets. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. You can find them. <laughs> what, one, one tip the article does does say uh, on here, never advertise on social media that you're going away. It's an easy way for burglars to know that your house is unoccupied. It's a bit difficult because, of course, when you go away, what do you do? You post pictures of your holiday. <laughs> <laughs> and I shouldn't laugh at this. And then, and then footballers complain uh, and celebrities complain that they've been nicked. Well, you know, you're, you're out there advertising, getting paid for each post. So, yeah, you know. They have some security, but anyway. There we go, there we go. Right, um, mate, it's been lovely to talk. Uh, we'll uh, be back on Friday. I don't-